Welcome to the CultureWise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks. My name is Daniel Schugert, and I'm joined today by Chris DeMorel and Kirk Scholl. Now, Chris and Kirk both moved out to Utah and currently live in central Utah. Uh, Chris moved out in about 2011, and Kirk, if I believe it's 2014. That's correct. Great. Now, now both of you have a very unique experience engaging with Mormonism and Mormons, uh, and so I, I'd love to just hear um, your experiences, how that shaped the way that you engage with people, um, how you... Um, share the gospel, how you do Bible studies, how you do church. And so just jumping in, uh, I, how did you both move out to um, the area that you currently are living? Yeah, we started out in Pennsylvania. I had taken my first trip to Utah in 2000. I just wanted to um, go see a, a work here in the States. And so I visited a, a pastor. Uh, it was in Vernal at the time. And um, I think it was just uh, just seeing a ministry in a in a a different context the west is so much different from the east and so i had come out several times after that and uh, finally the lord uh, had led my wife and i together her family had been out here her parents but she had never been we took a trip out before we got married the year before 2010 and then formally moved out 2011 so uh so it was kind of a progressive thing where god was leading giving me a burden for utah more and more with each trip that i took out to visit and uh, finally made clear that this is where he wanted us to be. So, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. So we've been here, been here ever since, and just praise God for the opportunity. That's right. Now living in Santa Quinn, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Just on the southern edge of Utah County. Yeah. 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 Yep. yep. Great. How about you, Kirk? Yeah, ours uh, came through a family member, uh, Pastor uh, Russ Robinson of First Baptist Church of Provo is uh, cousins with my wife, and we were kind of in a transitional stage for in my wife's hometown of Tennessee, and uh, he came back and was visiting family and let us know about the need. We started praying. Uh, we did a couple of survey trips and just uh, hearing about Springville, uh, seeing that, you know, and that the need that was there, that there was only one Bible preaching church in a town of around 40,000 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we felt God to, you know, kind of let us to just come and, and live. And so we moved here 2014. Uh, we moved in Springville and started attending First Baptist Church Provo. I was an elder there for about three years. And then after that, we had uh, two other families and our family launched out and started Art City Church in Springville. So that's been about four years now that we've started that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how would you describe the the cultural context in the area that you live? What's it like? I'd say it's, uh, it, I think having come out previously on trips, it definitely prepared me for that. But um, it's, it's definitely a unique culture, I think, anywhere to the U.S. And it, it, it really, um, it's it's not just a uh, a religion. It's kind of the, just the way of life, you know. Much I think as you would find in, Isl- in, Isl- in Islamic context or anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think if you uh, you definitely we found that um, people have come and then they've stayed for a time and moved on. Um, I think I think you definitely have to have a sense um, anywhere you go, really. But I think especially in context like this, that this is where where God wants me to be. And I can I can I can accept the fact that uh, this. 
neighbor's Mormon, that neighbor's Mormon, and, and this is just, you know, the mayor and this, the, the local leadership, the, the, you know, um, you just have to be, you have to be willing to accept that and not um, bring, you know, your presuppositions or how it was where you are from and wanting to see that replicated here because it's really, uh, it's really a unique culture. And I think, uh, I think you've just got to have a sense that this is, this is where God wants me to do ministry. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's what's carried us through, at least for the time that we've been here. So Yeah, if you think about one one key that I think gives a great example of what Chris is talking about is, you know, we move to this area, Utah County, and uh, which percentage-wise is around 89.9% LDS. Yeah, right. And so we're living in a city of, you know, 40,000 people, and I'm living in the in people who are listening to this and aren't here, uh, maybe don't understand, but we're living in a ward. And so the LDS uh, have wards, and their wards are like sections of, of the community. And if you live in this particular community, you go to this particular meeting house. And But the key, the key thing that we had, one of the things we had to get used to, is they, they run all of their emergency services through the wards. So uh, they have, of course, a lot of people know Utah lives on a fault line, mm-hmm. and everybody's expecting one day there could be a, a big earthquake. The big well, one. Right, the big one. And so they prepare for that, and they have tests that run through the city, but they run that through the wards. And so the way it works here in our neighborhood is they give you these cards, and when they do the test, you'll put the card in the window, and they'll they'll do the test run, which if the if, if there was an earthquake and you can't, all communication is all dropped out, you would put that card, one, you know, red or, or green, meaning you're okay, so forth and so on. And we're not even part of the LDS ward, but yet yeah. we are having to be actively involved in that way. So that's just one unique way that we had to kind of get used to our setting of, uh, you know, here in Utah. <laughs> yeah, certainly. That's unique. Yeah. So, you know, you also live near Rocky Ridge, and how, how does Rocky Ridge influence the culture most closely around you? Yeah, Rocky Ridge is just a little town just south of Santa Quin. It's right over in northern Juab County, and uh, it's actually a part of um, the broader polygamous community called the Apostolic United Brethren is kind of their, I guess, their technical name. Um, they've got, they're in Bluffdale, they're in Mount Pleasant, but the Rocky Ridge, I would say, probably is a town of maybe, I'm going to say, four to five hundred, somewhere around there. And uh, we had started having kids come from there to our to our Bible club that runs during the school year. And uh, just through that, we kind of found out that they were a polygamous family, and and uh, and so with the emphasis on uh, child rearing and and all, of all that goes with it, uh, we found that it makes for a, a, a just a great avenue to try to reach um, reach these people. Um, very well, uh, very open. They're very friendly, um, and uh, God's just given us those open doors. And so I would say uh, the proximity of where God put us um, really has just kind of dictated that. This is just uh, what he wants us to be focusing on right now, and and it's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. You you know you're ministering in a polygamous community, which is a whole nother culture, right? It's like a subculture in some ways of of the larger Mormon culture, but it's also very unique in other ways too. And so, for those of us who don't live in proximity to the uh, different polygamous groups, um, Chris, I, it'd be interesting to hear your take on. What are some of the unique aspects of the polygamous culture, understanding that I know that 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 group is different from other polygamous groups in some ways, but what are some aspects of the 
polygamous culture that you guys have had to understand and take into account to do ministry there? I think the main thing is just uh, just lo- loving on them. Um, you know, one of the moms told me, she said, you know, people will just drive through the community. They just want to see a polygamous culture, you know? So mm-hmm. I think in the way, in a way they know that they're, they're kind of what, what I would like in it too is almost like the Samaritans in the, in the, in the Israel context. Sure. And, um, and so I think, um, you know, loving on them, not, um, not treating them any differently. I try to, the kids that come to our Bible club, I try to love them like, like they're our own, my own kids, you yeah. know, and, and, um, not like, oh, well, you're polygamous, so you got, you got three heads or whatever. <laughs> and, um, I think just treating them like, like we would want to be treated as well. And, and, um, I think that's resonated pretty well with them, um, focusing on the Bible, uh, who is the biblical Jesus, and not drawing attention to our theological differences, addressing them as they come up, yes, but not making them the, uh, you know, the center in it by any means. And I think just loving, loving on them, trying to trying to just show practical ways, be in the hands and feet of Jesus, and, and here's what authentic Christianity looks like, trying to model that for them. I, I remember we, we helped Chris one summer and um, doing the, or one semester, two, it would have been a whole year of, of the Bible School club. year, yeah. And uh, I remember going into, at that time where you guys were meeting, Chris and them were meeting for church in Santa Quin, the, the meeting place, and we were using that for the Bible club, and just going in and getting, starting to get familiar with these names, and then starting to find out that these names were sisters and brothers or half-sisters and brothers, and, and how it became such... It was just normal for them. Mm-hmm. It was just them having a conversation. But for us, it was like, you know, shock. We had to sit back and be like, okay, you know, what's going on here? This is something very new. But I just remember having to do deal with that. And then, and you know, we could say that about Chris. But it the the big thing is just the faithfulness of of Chris. Just over time, doing what he said there, and that's that's really what it is. Is getting over what's the shock of what that is because it's not we're not familiar with right, them, but then right. just learning to love them where they are, and point them to Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. So, how has the Lord led you both to engage with um, the people in your na- neighborhood as well as the polygamous neighbors nearby? Yeah, I would say just through the through the. I think there's a sense of. Um, what I've appreciated since being in Utah is just a sense of cooperation. Um, uh, Pastor Kirk's wife has come down to help with our, our Bible week-long outreaches that we've done in June, and they've been a tremendous help, um, just helping with the logistics and running it and everything else. And And it's almost just some years we probably couldn't have done it without that help. And it was mm-hmm. just such a, I, to me, just such a model of just the Great Commission and just what that looks like practically. Um, people reaching out, as he said, they came down for a school year and helped us out. And so I think uh, for me, it's just been uh, developing those relationships with people, even though they're in a different church or they may be somewhat different denominational differences. It's just all that just gets laid aside and let's just love these people and let's come together and let's reach them with the gospel. And I've just so much enjoyed that since being in Utah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say for us, um, it's been a combination of we we intentionally came and planted bivocationally. Yeah. And so before even thinking about what support would look like from some type of mis- mission agency or churches, because we had already talked to people who said one of the things that, especially that's unique or 
uh, unique but devastating in Utah County that were people that would come and leave. And there was no long standing, there was no longevity of ministry, and we didn't want to be the, a casualty. Mm-hmm. So we, and but one of the blessings was not only, of course, we came into bivocationally to work a secular job, what that did was allowed us to mingle with the culture, uh, yeah, where right. some of the stigmatism, I think, was able to be faded away because everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time and their shoes on, and we have a common job that we're trying to do, and there are a lot of opportunities that were opened up because of that. And so that was that's still a great avenue. Now, for two years, I have, because we did have growth, um, I have we have launched out, and uh, we are having uh, churches that are supporting us and raising funds to, to be able to do it full-time. Mm-hmm. And so, but that was a great opportunity. And so being, just living in the community, just understanding I'm, this is where I am. This is, matter of fact, when people say to me, you know, where are you from? I know what they mean because they probably pick up on an accent or something. I say, I'm from Springville, Utah. Yeah. And then they're like, well, where did you come from? And then, you know, then I have to tell them the story. But but I always want to say that on purpose because I want people to know that the bridge in our minds has been burned. This is where we are to live in those communities. And I would say the other thing is art, uh, Springville is really big on festivals, and Utah's big on festivals. And mm-hmm. we try to right. use our town's festivals. Instead of trying to create something new, we try to get involved with what the community is doing. And so we'll, we'll rent a booth uh, once a year, and there's multiple opportunities that are opening up for us, for us to do more of this. We'll rent a booth and do a fundraiser and uh, be able to pass out literature and have conversations with you know thousands of people that are going to come to these uh, these festivals. So there's just a couple ways that we're reaching out to the community for the with the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is there a, is there a story you could share about some of those interactions that that have led to gospel conversations or anyone that you, you've gotten connected with your family or your church? Absolutely. Uh, so we have our. our we had our very first baptism service about two years ago, and um, one of those we had five that we baptized. Three of those were my kids, mm-hmm. which is you know praise God yeah, for that. Yeah. And uh, but the but two one was a lady that came from us from uh, to Springville from Las Vegas. The other man was a man that we met at Art City Days. Uh-huh. Uh, he uh, had left the LDS Church, and um, he and his at that time uh, girlfriend was just just walking around the festival, had no idea, came to our booth, didn't even know we were there, started talking to us about, you know, what is Art City Church? And then, of course, we got into the gospel, started coming to the church. And this is kind of, you know, ministry in Utah, um, sat underneath uh, the steady uh, teaching of the Word. And and then we also had Discipleship 101. And then at a time, he came to me, I remember it, it was just such an awesome time after the service one Sunday. He probably had been coming to the church maybe two or three months. Yeah. And um, he came to me after the service and he said, you know, I'm, I'm ready. And I said, ready for what? What are you talking about? And he said, I'm ready for whatever that next step is. And I said, are you trying to tell me you want to trust Jesus, trust Christ? Yeah. And he said, yes. And so after that, for me, we met again because uh, it's unique to understand, you know, what which Jesus are you wanting to trust, mm-hmm. and have to ask those type of questions, right? I want to know that uh, that he wanted to trust the Jesus of the Bible, and what does that mean, and what does it mean to trust Jesus? So we we went through those things, and and then we baptized him. Yeah. So we we have seen some direct fruit from from that festival. That's amazing. Yeah, praise God for that. Definitely. Yeah. And what about you, Chris? Share a little bit about um, the the Bible Club. 
the summer camp? Yeah, the Bible Club runs uh, it runs Tuesday nights, generally from about September, October into April. And it's similar to, uh, if you've heard of Awana or something like that, Joy Club, it's very similar to that. It's, we use material called Buckaroo Bible Club. And the kids get these little binders, and it takes them through memory verses, and it has them um, do different projects, service projects at, at their home. or uh, And it also works in uh, theology, too. It teaches them Christology, soteriology. Um, and it's just been a wonderful way to just uh, make it a time where the kids aren't just coming and it's kind of dry, but we, we do we do games, mm-hmm. we do, you know, we do, uh, they get candy at the end. And so um, so the kids come and they really, um, I'd say the Rocky Ridge kids overall, they've been really engaged with it. I'd say they come and they're excited and it's just been a positive experience overall for the for, for us, for them. And then the summer, during the summer, we, we've had a group from Iowa come out of church and they will run a, a just a Tuesday through Friday from 9 a.m. to noon, just a Bible club. And it's much the same thing. We're doing memory verses. We're doing, um, we'll have like a little time in the Word at the end, but they're doing games. They're just snacks. And so um, so I would just say just the youth, uh, impacting the youth has been a thrill for me. I didn't get saved until I was 20. Mm-hmm. And so having the opportunity just to share the Word of God with with children, um, and especially in this context, too, where you're, you're trying to impart truth and hopefully just trusting the Holy Spirit to, to kind of give the kids discernment and understanding um, counterbalance with what, you know, what they are being taught, you know, in their, in their, their, their context, um, I think is just, um, if you're, you can't be results oriented, you've just got to sow that seed and you just got to trust God, love them, uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus. And maybe someday when that, one of them is, uh, you know, 18 or 19 and says, you know, that Baptist church, whatever, they showed a lot of love to me. I I think Mm -hmm. that really impacted me. So hopefully just maybe down the road, we might not see it uh, anytime soon, but we just know that God's word uh, never returns void. And Mm -hmm. so we're going to love those kids. Yeah. You know, Chris, that's a great illustration of one thing I've noticed in Utah. It may be different from what people who maybe come here are used to. You just have to be in it for the long haul. And, and, um, you know, really understanding ministry here, you have to keep that long view in mind that, you know, you're you're ministering not just for results tomorrow, but I, I think ministry to kids in Utah is really strategic on a couple of levels. One is because there's so many kids, and it's a child-centered culture, but also because it changes the way that the next generation could interact with Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, if kids from an, a Mormon background or a, or a polygamous background, they come across our path, they come into our Bible club or into the preschool that we run or whatever, then, then they're going to have a completely different perspective on um, the historic traditional Christian faith than their parents did, um, e- even apart from all the things they learned in the, in the curriculum and so forth. So I think that could potentially be culture-changing. Um, not tomorrow, but in 20 years. Amen, that's great. One of the passages that really encourages me is in John 4, uh, after the woman at the well, you know, where the disciples now are, Jesus is teaching them and says, you know, others have sown, you know, you're reaping, you're entering into others' labors. So I tell people, look, we may not see fruit even in our lifetime. We may be just setting the table for the next generation. And uh, those are the people that we don't always recognize in so much in church history were the, the forerunners that, that yeah, really right. tilled the soil and got the, the ground ready for gospel seed. And so if that's our 
job, then we praise God because we'll rejoice together. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And what have you done either intentionally or accidentally to to help build trust in the community such that families are, are willing to hand off their kids to you for this time? Yeah, I think it's just uh, when I, if the parents are out, when I'm dropping off, usually you're picking up, I'll try to get out and interact with the parents, not just, hey, throw your kids in the van and <laughs> see you later. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. hey, how are you doing? You know, thanks so much for the privilege of having your kids as a part of our ministry. Um, one of the neat things is a fella in our church works at, um, it's a just the town dump, basically. And people will bring these bikes that are in really good shape for the most part, and he'll make some minor repairs to them, put a new seat, put a new tire. And so he'll give me these bikes, and so I'll throw them in the van, and when I go in just a couple weeks ago, I pulled out three bikes, and Mm -hmm. the kids just jumped on them right away. A couple (laughs) of them started riding the bikes around, and the mom was just like, thank you, you know? And so I think just things like that, just practical things that we love you, yes, we want to we're thankful to teach your kids, but how else can we be a blessing to you? You know, what else can we do to serve and show Christ-like love to them? So, yeah, I would say it's been trying to juxtapose those two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What about, you know, thinking about the Christmas caroling? We talked about that some, um, being able to go down and Christmas carol and just sing, and we'll have bags, goodie bags, and pass those out that we'll have... Uh, literature in it, but also just snacks. And I just remember, you know, seeing their faces when they come to the door because they they know uh, they know Chris, they know us from the from the Bible Club. But here's another here's another context or another time that we're coming down and and doing something that's joyful mm-hmm. uh, and something that's cultural, still accepted, you know, with Christmas right. yeah. and and uh, and just you know, it's a great opportunity for them to see, you know, they care about us. Yeah, we'll give out little treat bags with, we'll put little tracks in them or something like that or whatever. So, yeah. And uh, your, I think last Christmas we had, I think, your um, wife's uh, sister and her family. So between them, we had about, uh, we had almost a van full of people. And all of them, most all of them can sing real well, which is good (laughs) because I don't sing (laughs) at all. (laughs) And uh, so that was a blessing. And it really added to the, just the, the, I think, the impact of it with with that ministry uh, that they provided as well. So, yep. Kirk, you were briefly mentioning one of the interactions you had with a gentleman named Phil. I'd love to hear more of that story. Yes. So we were contacted uh, a couple months ago by a neighbor that uh, attended LDS ward near in our community. But during 2020, uh, when the LDS uh, church had been shut down because of COVID, we had uh, opened up and she came and visited our church. Had hadn't heard anything from her uh, in since that time until pr- about two and a half weeks ago. And she she called us and wanted to see if we would uh, rent our facility out for a group who was doing a Bible study. And that's all we were told at the time. So we of course wanted to talk more about it. And so we met uh, the two teachers. One named Phil. The other was named Jeff. And um, ended up finding out that this was a splintered group of the LDS faith, the LDS church. And uh, this church, and from what they're telling us, is a group of around 20-some people that have now are meeting separately and don't recognize um, the prophets all the way back even to to Joseph Smith. So they don't recognize Brigham Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, they believe that anything going forward from Joseph Smith has been corrupted, and so they're trying to take it back to Joseph Smith. They still believe he's a true prophet. They still believe the, the Book of Mormon is true. And uh, and so as much as they 
have not said yet. We believe Phil is is the the, the leader for sure, but uh, he's he's testified of having a vision of seeing Jesus. So I think he's trying to take that role of the prophet. So um, just interesting because we've we've met with them now four different times, about three and a half hours each time because the not going to can't allow the facility to be rented for the teaching to happen but we're trying to take <laughs> yeah. that opportunity yeah. to challenge them with truth and I would love I mean my heart's desire is to say you came out about three-fourths of the way go ahead the other quarter or whatever we can measure that sure. by and yeah. come to true Christianity because there are aspects of where they're really concentrating on Jesus and this whole idea of Jesus saying, you know, you you have to take up your cross and follow me or give up. And and we understand that. That's in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, you know, you need to, uh, you have to deny yourself and follow me. But then they start taking things that just complicate the Gospel and the idea of that being a gift of God, that Christ is, is enough. He is sufficient. And so we're just having conversations with that. And as long as they're coming... And uh, having conversations, we're going to have conversations with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so interesting that you've encountered. I've encountered similar groups um, up in our area, uh, north of you guys. And just looking at the bigger trend, right, of, of what's happening in larger Mormon culture, there is this retrenchment. There is this kind of wanting to go back to their roots. There's a dissatisfaction with um, the current leadership. It's really interesting because a lot of people are leaving Mormonism right now because the current leadership is too conservative. You know, the concerns over uh, patriarchalism and women's role and gay rights and stuff like that. A lot of people are leaving Mormonism for that reason. And then you have this retrenchment that a lot of people are considering leaving Mormonism for these sort of more uh, fundamental groups. They're not fundamentalists in polygamy, but they're more conservative groups leaving Mormonism because the current leadership is not lib- uh, conservative enough or not legitimate in a different way. So just to, I'm glad you flagged that, uh, Kirk, because that's something that is going on in Utah in, in among LDS people right now, and that'd be a great conversation uh, for another time, but um, it's something that we ought to be aware of. Yeah, and this is this is my first experience with it face to face, and I just I think the bigger conversation for me is this: is this going to be a trend? Are we going to see um, other groups just start splintering? And then how the conversation would be: you know, how do we engage? Right, right, and how big of a trend? I, I think it's a small, pretty small trend right now, but it's for real. And how much momentum will they get? Mm-hmm. And how do we engage those people? That's right. a great question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it becomes very apparent that y- you certainly cannot learn all of the beliefs of the people that you're going to be interacting with until you begin interacting with them. For example, this you, you never could have guessed, oh, this is what they're going to say about um, the priesthood. This is what they're going to say about the current prophet. This is what they're going to say about such and such baptism. Uh, you just have to engage and be faithful to be curious, learn, listen, uh, and then apply truth and the gospel and the conversation. Yes. And and do it confession for me. Yeah. Do it do it with a good heart. Mm-hmm. And and for me when I first moved here, God had to do something in my heart. And I there was and that, it helped me to be to again to do the bivocational, 
to, to rub shoulders with them. But even then, it, it took time. And I think that goes back to the longevity of ministry. I feel like we've been here eight years, and I feel like we are we are ready now to plow. We It's, it's not that we haven't been plowing before, <laughs> but we also yeah. had to learn, and we also had to, had to have our heart changed. I think God had to do something in my heart. And so there are times that that uh, when I first started, and sometimes it'll still rise up, where you, you get into your mind the, the false teaching and the, 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 the idea of lostness, and, it, and it, it disturbs you, you got to have a love for these people, and it needs to come out in a way where you're challenging truth, for sure. You're teaching truth, but you're doing it with a heart of love instead mm-hmm. of a heart of, you know, trying to prove someone wrong or to try to, de- you know, be a, 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 uh, in a way of doing it in a rude way. Mm-hmm. And another phrase you, you also mentioned was sometimes you feel like you have to defend Paul. Um, and, and I think this is relevant for your specific context, but also engaging with Mormonism at large as well. So what can you share about how you've learned what it means to defend Paul? Yeah, and I think that comes off of what you just said about how you don't really know until you engage people. And this has just come out of conversations that I've had maybe in the last year and a half of talking to people in LDS faith, people who are engaging me, which sometimes people don't. Uh, Mm -hmm. You have a lot of people who just don't want to engage, don't want to talk. But when you actually get into a conversation with the differences— because there is a push to to for L, the main LDS faith, religion, church, to almost be like another denomination of Christianity, and we're all just serving the same God or serving Jesus together, and it's so nice. And, and then you start to have to drill down and say, well, actually, that's not true. Here are the reasons why. And, and so when you engage people with that, it has just come up that— uh, I've been told at times that I'm interpreting Paul, who, again, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, he's a very, very influential player, but I've been told that I, inf- I interpret Paul or Jesus by Paul instead of interpreting Paul by Jesus, and this kind of idea of, not, of underestimating or trying to make Paul not legitimate and a, le- a legitimate yeah, apostle. Yeah. So I almost find that I'm doing, and it's, it's been it's been pretty cool because I've gone back and God's kind of given me fresh eyes to recognize that Paul defends his ministry a lot in the in the epistles uh, for false teachers that are coming in and trying to over, you know, teach false teaching in these churches. And and I feel like almost we're doing the same thing to say, hey, hold on a second. I don't, I'm not interpreting Paul by Jesus or Jesus by Paul. Jesus handpicked Paul and mm-hmm. then trained Paul and go back and, and look at the credentials in, in a Philippians chapter 3 uh, or in 2 Corinthians when Paul says, you know what, you're making me act foolish here, but if I need to lay my credentials on the table so you'll understand I am an authentic apostle, let's do it, you know, because I love you that much. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like there are times I'm, I'm having to do that. I almost would love to see if, if myself to try to create something more in a literature or in a video that, that can be handily given out when somebody does bring that up and say, well, listen, here's what the Bible says about what, you know, Paul is a legitimate apostle, not only recognized and taught by Jesus, but recognized and taught by the other 11, mm-hmm. uh, Peter included, right? He gave the right hand of fellowship to Paul. That's what he said uh, in Galatians chapter uh, 1 uh, when he was defending his ministry to to those false teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's something that I'm very interested in, and that's like a very specific contextualized tool that would be very relevant in a lot of conversations. So I, I I'm very thankful for you mentioning that, and now it makes me want to relook and and explore those topics. 
And Chris, now you, you've done um, a conference this last year uh, relating directly to engaging with polygamist peoples. Um, what can you share with us about that conference? Yeah, that was um, basically something we did. I was just burdened uh, to try to bring together different uh, ministries that were doing, had a more of a specific outreach to polygamists. And we uh, we just got together. Um, one of the speakers and one of the ministries that was represented was Doris Hansen, and many people know who she is through her her, her uh, TV ministry. Um, we had Tanya Toole holding out help, and then um, Brody Olson, who's got a ministry called Grace Reigns. He's down in the southern Utah area, Colorado City, uh, Hilldale border, where Warren Jeffs used to be. And uh, we just wanted to basically... Um, uh, just let people know and, and kind of come together and, and uh, just share, I guess, much of what the focus, I think, of what you're doing here with this podcast is just uh, wh- who are these people, how can we reach them, and what are some of the some of the unique contextual things that we need to kind of be aware of, and what's God doing um, in bringing these people to himself, to faith, and and so it was just a great opportunity. It was very well attended. Maybe we'll, we'll look to try to do it again in a future year, but um, I think it was just a, a good way to kind of get the different polygamous ministries, I guess, to kind of interact and come together and um, and just share, share where what, what God's doing, you know, in this, what I would consider a kind of a neglected uh, ministry field in Utah. Um, and so it was wonderful. Yeah, we had that, um, I guess it was two years, it was three years ago now, oh, okay, and okay. Right, right in Sandy. So it's been a, been a few years now, so um, <laughs> so it wasn't... I just it was, said it was last year. <laughs> it was, um, it was uh, I'm trying to think, I think it was just during COVID, so it must okay. have been 20, 2020, 2020, I believe. It feels yes. more recent than that. It does, me, it does. Somebody. It was so two years old, ago. You know, no years flying by. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. I hope you have a chance to do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then I can come, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the encouraging things that came out of that conference and the the ministry connections that were made there? Um, I would say we actually had a, a couple that flew out um, from Kentucky to be a part of it. Um, I know one lady flew out from the Denver area in Colorado, and um, I know I don't know what came of it, but I do know that the couple that came from Kentucky was talking to um, holding out help, mm-hmm. and apparently I can't remember their, but I think he had a legal background. I can't remember if he might have been a lawyer, and then she had experience, um, the wife, and some kind of a social work aspect, and so they were actually had approached uh, Tanya Tool who held heads up that ministry about the possibility of, of either relocating or just offering yeah. assistance to them. And um, and so that was just really neat to see those connections formed. I know one, uh, one fella who has been praying for years um, uh, for open doors into polygamous community uh, came into contact with a young man with a uh, polygamous background but had left the community and um, and that developed into a mentorship um, uh, relationship almost like a Paul Timothy relationship yeah. and I far as I know that continues on to this day Amazing. and so that was just neat to see those connections formed uh, through the conference and um, those are just the ones I know about but I think I think there were others as well so mm-hmm. yeah. And what is the name of the conference? Uh, the, we just titled it Reaching Polygamous for Christ. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So looking forward, if that if that does happen again, I'm, I'm sure listeners might be interested to look into it. Yeah, absolutely. So how can how can other people get involved in, in the work that you're doing directly or tangentially related to the things that you're involved in? 
Yeah, for us, uh, so the name of our church is Art City Church. Uh, we named it Art City. Uh, it's the nickname of Springville. They have an art museum and have Renaissance kind of fairs and things like that. And so artcity.church is our website. Um, we, you know, you can find all the information you want to know about us there and you can, you can, uh, contact us. There's information there how you can contact us. But we, uh, we have churches that are partnering with us and, uh, they come out and bring, uh, short-term mission teams. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's probably one of the, the most beneficial ways. And also I would say because of the feedback we get from the teams, it's really a way that people come out and see what's going on. You can tell people what's going on here, but really you need to experience what's yeah, going on Yeah. because we've told people and then they've come out and they've said, yeah, you, you tried to tell us, but you really need to experience it. And then mm -hmm. what that does is cause them to go back to their church, wherever they're coming from and pray more intelligently, tell other people about what's going on out here. So we are really big. We love uh, having churches. Uh, we can't take huge uh, mission teams, uh, but we we do take mission teams. You know, some up to like eight to ten people, things like that, that help us out with some of our outreaches in the summer. That's when we really try to be more outward in our our uh, outreaches because we have again all the, a lot of festivals that happen in Springville, and we try to piggyback on those mm -hmm. and try to you know preach the gospel, give the gospel in those. So that's one way. Mm -hmm. I know you guys have done. Uh, barbecues as well. You kind of piggybacked a, a cookout onto your summer Bible time that you did there in, in Springville. And you, I think you told me that was pretty well attended. And then you yeah. had one just this past Sunday as well. That was... Yeah, we do we do fellowship meals uh, once a month for, for a church. But then we do, yeah, we do these big... Um, outreaches and we'll we'll go to a park so we're in a public uh, area and rent one of the pavilions and just do uh, do a barbecue and just invite the community so instead of uh, just going out and maybe doing specific prayer walking or general prayer walking or knocking on doors we'll do more, we'll do something more specific where if we're going to be at this particular park doing the barbecue that'll be the section that we'll go pass out some flyers invite the community to come out and find out more about Art City Church and that way we're we're exposing them to to the church to the uh, to the people of the church and it's a way that we can start trying to uh, create um, relationships mm-hmm yeah. We did something really similar. We uh, had a group uh, come down from a church up in Idaho, and uh, we had gotten permission from Rocky Ridge. They have a big field that's really in the center of the community. Mm -hmm. They got a couple pavilions there, so it loans itself to just cookouts and barbecues, things like that. And uh, yeah, they... they brought a team down, they brought the grills, they brought the food, <laughs> they had a, a whole barbecue basically that we did for the, primarily for the families that uh, participate in our, uh, in our program that runs during the school year, but others tagged in, you know, it's such a big community. We didn't turn people away. They just planned to have more food than what they thought they would need. <laughs> uh -huh. And, uh, and so that was really well attended. It was a blessing, um, just trying to fit in with what, you know, like what you had said, what else do you do besides the, the, the actual children's ministry itself. And so what we're looking to do uh, when we do our uh, week-long summer Bible time this coming June, I would love for the Friday, I'm trying to get the, um, some help and I'm trying to think think through logistics, but for that Friday after we finish at noon, we could just head over to Rocky Ridge and uh, and do another barbecue there and have the families come, the parents, and just, um, just love on them and continue building those relationships, those gospel relationships. And mm -hmm. so, um, so that is kind of what I'm 
what I have in the works for, for this coming June. So mm-hmm. yeah. And that's been a great, I think food, anytime you do food, I think you're going to have, <laughs> you're going to have a, just a, a common, <laughs> a common language there, I guess, mm-hmm. for people to interact and, and who's going to turn down a free meal generally. Right. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So that's just another thing that, and again, has been used effectively in, in Springville as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So is there, is there a need for, for folks to come and help with the, the summer Bible camp or the, the, the club during the year? Um, usually we're, we're, we're generally pretty well staffed. I would just say, I think piggybacking on what Pastor Kirk said, I think if you want to just come, if people just want to come to a, a day of the, the summer Bible time and just see what God's doing there or come on a Tuesday night, we have it right at our church there in Nephi, uh, we, we would welcome anyone who would like to just come down and, and just check it out, mm-hmm. just see it. And um, and uh, if there's an avenue to help, if they don't mind the distance, depending on where they live, uh, we could certainly find ways to, to get them involved and, and, um, and contribute or whatever. So yeah, absolutely. We could we could accommodate whatever their interest there may be. We never never refuse laborers, right? Or mm-hmm. Jesus said the laborers are few, so we always try to do everything we can to accommodate people who wanna who wanna yeah. look and get involved in whatever way they can. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, this is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing about how God is using you guys um, in Central Utah. So really incredible to hear the stories. Thank yeah, you thank so you much for having us. I appreciate it. It's just exciting to see statewide what what is God doing in the state. You know, it's just so encouraging. So thank you. Again, this is the Culture Wise podcast where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace.